0: all right, let's get serious. It doesn't hurt to laugh. It actually helped you take the medicine a little bit better when you have to get serious. Let's go to the book of Luke one more time. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, 24. You don't have to stand um, as we normally do, but I don't want to drive the stake into the ground, but I do want to underscore what I feel and have sensed is a real word that God wants to get through to us. And when you read this text... Everything that I might say following seems to contradict. If I say God wants to bless you, God wants the best for you, and all of that, when you read this, it seems contrary to our normal, natural human thinking. But he said, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, and in the Greek it means if you want to be my follower. And the word follower means disciple. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And then Matthew wrote very similar words in, I believe it's the 14th chapter somewhere in there. Very close uh, proximity of of what Luke recorded. And so it, it, it begins this process of thinking of how... I should view life and how I should view my life. And when you read it, it doesn't sound like what a person would be interested in knowing or reading or doing to get to a better way of life. And yet the truth is, this road of being a disciple and when I remember when we started, I asked the question, <clears throat> what have you done today or what have I done today that only a Christian would do? That question lingers in my mind. Uh, and I, I have to ask myself, what am I doing on a daily basis that only a Christian would do? And so it encompasses a whole scope of things and there's no way in just a few weeks that I or Brother Starks or anyone else could cover everything. So we're going to try to touch on some things tonight that I really have felt for weeks. I've felt this particular part of our, our exploration of what, what it looks like to be a real disciple what that would consist of and uh, it starts there but I want to take you to one other passage and it's found in first Corinthians uh, chapter 13 and I think all of you know what's in this 13th chapter and uh, he said though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I would or could remove mountains and have not charity I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned. And have not charity. It profiteth me nothing. And then he says. Charity suffereth long. And is kind. Now there's a lot of people that might qualify for the first part of that statement. Love suffereth long, but it's not always kind. But the kind of life that he is calling us to is a life that goes beyond what would normally be our response. And so charity suffereth long and is kind charity envieth not charity or love does not promote itself it's not puffed up it doesn't have this attitude of being better than someone else it does not behave itself unseemly it doesn't act out of character it doesn't bro- broach certain uh, 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 things in life. I don't know the right word that my mind is searching for, but it, it 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 doesn't broach certain barriers. It respects boundaries. It seeketh not her own. It does not easily or is not easily provoked. It thinketh. No evil rejoiceth not in iniquity in other people's failures, It rejoices, but rejoiceth in truth. And this is the verse that I want to really capture your mind. I want it to capture your mind as it has mine. He said, it beareth all things. It believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth all things. I believe that the key to the latter half or the latter portion of that verse is tied to that beginning statement. That it beareth all things. And I asked my brother today, would I be... Out of line, am I stretching it? If I make the connection with that word, beareth, to the cross. And you said in actuality, in the original Greek and the the nuances of the Greek language, there is a connection. So when you think about love beareth all things, Paul was using that statement in the reference of a cross experience that you would bear this as a man would bear his cross. Take up your cross. The literal translation could be bear your cross. Carry your cross. And so he speaks about love bearing all things and so for just a few moments let's just i want to talk to you about the way of the cross now when the word way i don't i'm not talking about the road or the path but rather i am speaking in reference to the approach um the method the tactics the means or manner or style of the cross. So let's look at what is the approach of the cross? What are the tactics behind the cross? What does it mean when we talk about the way of the cross? It's not just a path that you walk, but it is a style of living and life that you engage in that you accept that you participate in and so that really does not sound very attractive to the human mind especially the secular mind of our world (laughs) the way of the cross it doesn't sound like it would gather many followers it doesn't Sound like it would lend itself to a lot of people giving their lives in that direction. And yet, as strange as it sounds, the way of the cross, the way, the methods, the, 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 the style, the, the means, the manner of that cross-like living actually is speaking to a quality of life that is beyond anything else that you can know in your human existence, that when you're talking about the way of the cross, you are actually talking about life being brought to a highest level, to the highest level of existence that it can know. Beyond anything that man is able to accomplish in himself or beyond anything that flesh is able to achieve. This particular way or style or method or approach to living literally leads to the highest quality of life that can be experienced by mankind on this earth. The way of the cross. So what does bearing my cross mean? Well, the only person that I know that actually carried one, we could ask him. If you really want to know what cross bearing means, ask Jesus And the poet captured it so powerfully when he wrote, Thou the cross didst bear, what bear I? Thou the thorns didst wear, what wear I? Thou the death didst dare, what dare I? For thou, for thou for me dost care. So what care I? If you really want to know what bearing a cross means, then you have to understand that it will perhaps involve thorns. It will certainly involve death. And it will show itself in its truest sense by the care that it shows to others. So the whole track of what it means to be a disciple really evolves around this way of the cross. If you want to know how to live the best life, start studying this way of the cross. This cross... Though it is the sticking point for most people. And it is the sticking point for the human mind. Why would would it be a cross? You know, our regular thinking would say that we celebrate the resurrected life of our Lord. That we celebrate uh, his coming out of the tomb. That's what we rejoice over and so if we rejoice over the risen Christ why do we not reflect its lifestyle in that same manner it would seem to the mind that if we were to uh, if we were to select a symbol for christianity should it not be something that reflects its vitality and life something connected to the resurrection not the cross and yet when jesus wanted to teach his disciples how to be a disciple he went to the cross the reasoning mind that is a far stretch for us to embrace if the risen life is the life that Christ is calling me to, then there ought to be things that are elevated that speak of joy and power. But on the other hand, as Jesus taught us in his own life, the only way you can get to an empty grave is through an ugly cross. Amen. So the only way we can enjoy the resurrected life in the way that he intended for us is to learn something about what it is to take up a cross or to bear a cross. You see, the root of the Christian experience is found in this. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground, it abideth alone single one. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. So here's what the way of the cross is really saying to us. It's not as repulsive as it sounds when you realize that when he calls us to the way of the cross, he is showing us two ways of life. Here's a good way of life. Here's the best way of life. Here's a life that you'll find enjoyment and fun and you'll get fulfillment to some degree. But here's a life that is the fullest joy, that is the greatest thrill. It is the greatest fulfillment and enjoyment of your purpose. And that's what I'm calling you to. Now, the way to get there is kind of messy. It's not pretty. It sometimes means that I am going to have to do some things to myself that will help me get to that better place. And so one of the things that he said in the very beginning of this passage is that if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my follower, if you want to know the road to that best life and that highest life and and it's living, then the first thing that you're going to have to learn is self denial. You're going to have to learn how to deny yourself. Interesting to me, and I I've talked to my brother about it today, is that the, co- the, the connective word and is used deny yourself, and take up your cross, and follow me. In the Greek, that word could be taken out and put in also or by the way. Deny yourself, oh, by the way. Take up your cross. Oh, by the way, follow me. thats They're all linked together. You cannot choose or pick. Well, I don't mind doing that one, but I don't want to do those other two. In order to live the the kind of life the Lord really wants us to live and enjoy, you have to involve yourself in all three arenas. Denying self. And that that discipline of yourself, that power to say no to the fleshly impulses so that something higher can, can talk to you and work with you and pull you up and draw you to a higher place is a very important thing. And self-denial, I understand, is not attractive. Nobody runs around shouting, jumping up and down, saying, oh boy, oh boy, I get to tell myself no today. But the benefits is because of what you find in scripture. One reason that we have such a repulsion to self-denial is that it has been associated with the practice of some really Eccentric behaviors such as flogging of the body and uh, cutting the skin and laying on beds of nails all in uh, the idea of somehow appeasing God. The purpose of me denying myself is not so God will get pleasure out of the fact that I said no to myself. The pleasure that God gets when I say no to myself is that it opens the door for Him to say yes into my life over so many things that I can't touch any other way that God cannot bring into my, He cannot bring it to pass. He cannot make it happen if that door is not first open. And so when we do these things, it's not just, a, you know, God doesn't want you to maltreat your body. You're not giving God glory when you maltreat your body. And it goes contrary to everything that Jesus taught us and showed us. That you should understand that your body is a temple. It's a sacred place. It's a sacred dwelling for my spirit. So you need to be careful what you let in. The danger is that in the day in which we live, this pendulum has swung. In the early days of Christianity, they felt like that they would get closer to God by doing those things, by beating themselves, by isolating themselves in the caves and becoming hermits and, and all of the things that you can read about that went on during the dark ages. But now the pendulum has swung and now we're of the mindset that we're here to be pleased, that God put us here to be happy. And everything about life should be generated to help make us happy and bring us joy and supply all the things that we want. And so this pendulum has swung in the complete opposite direction. And now we have made idols of the physical body thinking that that accomplishes a means of fully satisfying all of its needs. And it cannot. Think with me for a moment though. If you are in the military, the reason that you go through the marches and the fatigue and the physical exercises is in order to build up your body for better service. The reason when a runner runs and is involved in racing, A runner in training for a race will cheerfully deny himself because of all the benefits that it will afford him in what he's trying to accomplish. That he can run faster, he can be more effective. The same thing is true in your own body and its physical well-being. The fitness of my body... And my own spirit is not without self-discipline. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of us in, in particular, your preacher, your, your, your pastor, the man that's making all the noise tonight, that's where we sometimes falter is that we, we, we have a hard time saying no to our fleshly appetite and desires. And so, Our bodies are are not functioning as God created them to function. But a person, just, just regular, normal, drugstore type wisdom will tell you that if you're going to enjoy the benefits of victory, you're going to have to go through some kind of suffering of preparation. And so... It's, there, there's this principle of denying self. And here's what happens if we don't learn this. If we pamper the flesh, guess what takes over? And the more we pamper the flesh, the more in charge the flesh becomes. And the more fleshly responses come out of us, Oh, hallelujah. Yeah. All those nasty things that Paul talked about were the works of the flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, they are every one of them inside of you right now. And they are. They're in every one of us. Hatred, variance, strife, rebellions all of that is in our flesh it's in that fallen nature and so if we're not careful if we don't understand the principle of betterment or the principle of improvement we succumb and we give into the appetites and the desires and soon it's that's what takes over and takes charge of our life and then it becomes a matter of this oh I didn't intend to do that I didn't mean to say that I didn't mean to act like that all right I'm not trying to get too busy in your business tonight I'm I'm just telling you this has been in my business all week too so it's you're only getting a little portion of what God works me over and I'm 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 the first to get in line. I need to to step up my game. But I think that's what God's wanting to do for all of us. Because there's a great opportunity. I'm just telling you. The opportunity that this church has at this hour is unprecedented. But it's not going to happen just because we say it's going to happen. It's going to happen because we are prepared. And this is one of the things I've learned about God in my living for Him. Is that God prepares great things for me. But sometimes I fail to experience all of those great things. Because I did not prepare myself for those prepared great things. And although God wants to pour them out, I'm not capable of receiving them. I'm not capable of handling them. I'm not in the place where I could really utilize them for the good of the kingdom. And so I forfeit them because God is not able to do what he wants to do. And so for our church, I will tell you what I sense in the spirit and what I see and know and feel and and God has spoken to me concerning... We cannot imagine what he is preparing for this final hour. But I will tell you, it is not going to come just because I say it. And well, let me refer it is going to come because it's said, but I may not experience the fullness of what it was intended for because I'm not prepared for it. And so, this discipleship thing, explore. What is it, what does it mean for me to really be a disciple? Some of us have been in church all of our lives and we really couldn't tell you what being a disciple really looked like. I mean, when you flesh it out, we can talk about it in terms and, and be theological in our discussion, but I want to know what what shoe leather looks like. I want to know what, what it looks like when I go out into the world. I I want to know what decide, being a disciple looks like when I'm interacting with people in the church that are of a whole different personality than I am. And they, they, they have likes and dislikes that just repulse them. Oh my, you know, we, we have all these differences. And how do I interact with them? And what happens when I get hurt? When somebody offends me. How how, how do I respond to those things? Because all of that is encapsulated in what he was talking about when he spoke of me being his disciple. He was offended. Deeply offended by the actions of those that he had created. But I'm so thankful the scripture says, but... God so loved the world that he gave. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? Come on, let's clap our hands to the Lord and let's praise him. I got to hurry. I knew I wouldn't. You know, a friend of mine told me right before church, he said, you know what? They taught us in Bible school. I said, no, I didn't go to Bible school. That's why I'm not a very good preacher or pastor. So what did they tell you in Bible school? He said, number one, they told you that you don't have to cover everything you prepare. And number two, it's better to leave them wanting more than than for you to give it all to them and them to go out saying, man, he could have stopped 30 minutes ago. So I'm not trying to overdo it tonight, but denying myself As difficult as that may sound, it really is one of the greatest blessings in life. And you know that on just a regular basis. When I eat better, I feel better. When I rest properly, I'm easier to get along with. All of those things are true in the natural And so are they true in the spiritual. And so sometimes you have to come home and look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? You're not in charge today. Somebody, There's a higher principle in charge today. We're not going to act like that. And we're going to be guided by a higher ethic than what you would want to guide me by. And I'm hurrying to a close. The way of the cross is going to lead to another step, and that is what some have called a life of detachment. He said, if any man come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. One of the strangest things in scripture, it suggests something grievous and painful to to carry, and how does This grievance or this grievous thing, how does it apply to what God wants me to look like? And yet when we look at scripture, we realize that Jesus in his statement was painting a unique picture. Crucifixions were a common thing of that day. They were borrowed from another culture the romans had embraced it it was the most severe inhumane way of someone's life coming to an end and the tragedy of all is not only did they have to bear the guilt of their wrongs that they had committed to mankind but then they had to carry their own cross That heavy burdensome thing, they had to carry it by force to their place of execution. That was the way the Romans viewed a crucifixion. Jesus took a crucifixion and he said, I'm going to change the dynamics. I'm going to take the same cross and I'm going to make it a means of glory. And he took the cross and he elevated it by saying this. Take up your cross and follow me. Nobody's forcing you. Nobody's making you. Nobody's cracking a whip over you, threatening your life. It is a voluntary choice. And here's what's unique about it is that when you take it on yourself and it's not forced on you, you can bear all of the reproach on the way to the crucifixion because you know that's not the end. Something's going to come out of this that's better than what they're doing to me at this moment. And so there's this joy he, he, you know, the scripture said they had to conscript Simon to help carry the cross. And I understand that. He was beaten. He was, I'm sure, dehydrated. He was weak beyond the point of human weakness. And so there was a need. But he wasn't carrying that cross because the Romans made him carry a cross. He carried that cross because he chose to carry that cross. He said he looked at the cross and he despised its shame. So you cannot despise the shame of something and, and carry it as a burden or as a grievance. But what he was doing was doing this willingly. And when you willingly take that cross up, it. Energizes something in your life and it frees you from a lot of the bitterness and the anger and the hurt and resentment for having to do this. And that's what's wrong with so many people in Christianity and especially Pentecostals. We don't, you know, we we don't think about living for God in those terms. But when I deny myself, I'm elevating my life. I'm not just Putting myself in a little pigeonhole where life is so conscripted and it is so dour and sour and, and, and cruel and mean that I can't even smile in my life. He said, Oh, no, 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 no. If you take up that cross and it's not forced on you, cause here's the thing, life, if you leave it to life, life is going to force a cross on you that you're not going to want to bear and you'll never be able to bear. But when he offers a cross and you willingly pick it up and say, I will follow him. It empowers you to where nothing that they did to him could stop him. And he can look at them when they were mocking him and spitting at him and cursing and railing and say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. You can't do that when you feel forced to something. And that's why living for God is such a burden for some people. well, that just church' got too many rules and regulations there's just too many thousand thou nots and thou should nots and thou ought nots. and uh, oh my it's just and so modern man has created a new and improved version of Christianity where you don't have to do any of those things. grace covers everything, and so you can live any way you want to live, and you can cuss and, and and drink and. Fornicate and do everything else that that's free in life, and and God still loves you, and it's all covered. And that's such an appalling misuse of grace. But Jesus picked the cross up, and in carrying his cross, he eliminated all of the pain that the sneers and the jeers and all the cutting remarks that they could say. And it it is no different in our own life. When we accept these things as a way to a better life, it takes the sting of what you're doing away. Amen. And it makes it become what God intended for it to be, a pathway to a better life. Stand with me, if you will. This is the relationship that bearing a cross and doing it willfully has to your life. The relationship that God wants you and I to have with this world and its joys is to enjoy them, but don't let them hold your hearts. They can cease to be essential to your life. Paul said, "I know how to be abound. I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. Right. Yeah. I, I can I can live in either extreme, because those things have no hold over me. Right. What has a hold of me is a cross, right. and not just a, a cruel means of distorting my life, but a pathway." That leads me to a better life. And I didn't even get to the best part tonight. But when he talked about love. Bearing all things. It is what makes this life possible. That if you don't fall in love with him. And serve him because you love him. You will never live. Other than a survivalist life. But if you fall in love with him. That love, the Bible said that he shed his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost so when god poured his spirit out on you he poured his love into you not just so you would know that you're loved but so you would have the ability to take that same thing that had that had kept him in all of his ways and you would be able to use it in relationships in life that can get really crossed up at times and we'll maybe we'll have time to talk about that next week the way of the cross It's what leads home. It's what leads to a better life. The best me can be found connected to a cross-like living where I'm not ashamed of what it represents, but I understand what it is given for. Amen. Aren't you thankful? That is convoluted as the world tries to twist up these things in life. The real secret to living is still found in the word of God. Amen. Amen. You can improve on it. Right. It doesn't get any better. Right. Amen. Father, we love you tonight. Forgive me, Lord, for being lengthy tonight. But I just feel something stirring And I believe, God, that you have something for us in this hour. I would pray that all of us in this place would begin to look at our own lives and ask, are we really a disciple, a true disciple? Are we showing the characteristics of a true disciple? Am I really being long-suffering? Am I really being kind? Am I really for being forgiving lord am i really making room for people in their mistakes and in their failures lord i pray that you will help us find that enlargement of life oh god help us to know what it is to live the very best life there is in jesus name and everybody said amen amen Amen. Amen. clap your hands to the lord and praise him Amen, 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 amen. Thank you for being such a great audience tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.